Welcome to the 5e podcast. I'm here today with Tom Winstanley, CTO and Head of New Ventures at NTT, alongside Lawrence Norman, VP of Sports Technology. Thank you guys for coming on to the show. Really appreciate it. And thank you for letting us in your innovation lab. You're welcome. Um, Tom, perhaps you could start off and just uh, explain a little bit about your background, uh, how you got into the consulting and, and your position in NTT, if you could. Yeah, sure. Um, so I started uh, back in the 90s in telco, um, straight out of uni. Uh, chance meeting of, of minds got me into software development in that space, building customer care and building platforms. Fairly rapidly worked out that was not where I wanted to spend my life, although it is, you know, there's, there's a great business to be, to be done there. And I ended up uh, being the, 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 the founder of uh, the digital practice for a, a company out in Germany. Okay. Um, I then joined uh, Entity Data about what, eight years ago now, something okay. like that, to initially head up the digital consulting practice here in the UK. Um, and for the last uh, now almost four years, I've been having this role of, of CTO um, across all of our uh, industries here in the UK, and we maybe we'll talk a little bit more yeah. about that in, in a little while. Um, and as you said, heading up our new ventures activities, which is all things innovation, connecting also to our R&D centres around the world, um, co-creation with clients, with partners, all the fun stuff. Yeah, all the fun stuff. yeah. I was going to say that you know the innovation, the bleeding edge tech. Uh, you know, that must be the fun part of the job, getting involved with, with all of those things. For sure, for sure. And I mean, the way that we always look at this stuff is, you know, there are multiple horizons around innovation, right? You've got, you know, we're a Japanese organisation, and again, we'll probably talk a bit about that. But if you, there's the Kaizen view on, on innovation, that's continuous improvement, all of that good stuff that's going on in the core business. That's maybe not so much bleeding edge, mm. but it's completely vital to the way that we work. But a lot... A lot of people don't know about the other two horizons from, from the, the, the Japanese lean movement. So Kakushen and Kaikaku, forgive me for the... It's slightly better than how I'd say I could get that horribly well. But, that, but that, that is, those are those further, the further out horizons. Okay. And so disruptive technology, Kakushen, and the, the, the role that bleeding edge technologies can play in that part is also part of the job. And that's the mix is is what makes it fun. Yeah, excellent. Well, thank you for that. And Lawrence, how about yourself? Uh, it's probably less interesting than that. <laughs> <laughs> it, is, it is longer, at least. So I, I so I started in. Yeah, I've also been in telco business on the industry side more. To be honest, okay. so I started off working at BT, did a bit of work with T-Mobile, ended up at Deutsche Telekom doing a lot of corporate stuff. Is also in the BSS space. So I was okay. probably buying the stuff that Tom was selling. Although mm-hmm. I don't think we ever. Did no, that I uh, and then I moved into NTT Data, uh, actually about 10 years ago, so during right. its, its international growth phase when it had gone through a series of acquisitions of different brands and as it all came together into a single brand, I, I joined there in the telco media and high tech business unit so, okay. um, uh, and have been sort of moving around that space ever since then, working with all our big clients. So I'm also, as well as being in the sports tech area, I'm also the chief architect for telco media high tech business so I, I get involved with a lot of the uh, bigger projects and clients that we have um, and then on the sports tech side that really came out of uh, getting involved in some of the sports sponsorships that NTT have so NTT right. do a number of and NTT data as well as part of that do a number of sports sponsorships over a number of properties and all of those have some level of technology mm-hmm. showcase that we do to highlight what we do as a business uh, and I got involved in that it's interesting uh, yeah. and also I, I think I was looking at it as a, it was a bit of a it wasn't as 
impactful as it could be. So trying mm. to make it more impactful. So with that, I've taken a bit of control of that over the last few years and uh, and been enjoying it ever since. So, yeah. yeah. Fantastic. Thank you for that. Yeah, I um, I can't wait to get on to talk about some of the some of the work that you did with the Open, but we'll get on to that a little bit later on yeah. during the show. Um, so a little bit of background for some of our, our viewers and listeners about NTT. So I think, you know, this is a brand that a lot of people know within the industry, but perhaps don't know the, the history of NTT. Obviously, Japanese mm-hmm. company. Uh, quick sort of potted history on the brand, Tom? Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, NTT Group, obviously, is a Japanese organization, Nippon Telephone Telegraph. It is the, the Japanese uh, incumbent telco. Um, that's where it started, but it's long since expanded beyond that. So, although the the history of the group is in innovation in and around communications, outside the the, the growth has been in two areas. One has been around data centres and network infrastructure globally, um, and our, we have a, a sister organisation, NTT Limited, that is very very focused on on the future in that space. And then you've got NTT Data, where the glue, we're not t- tiny in our own right, about 140,000 employees globally, fifth largest systems integrator in the world, depending on how you, you measure and how the yen falls. Um, and people always assume that we are a telco niche supplier, and that's not true at all, actually. Our, our largest market um, globally is actually financial services. Um, but we also work in manufacturing, automotive, and utilities. Here in the UK, obviously, we do have particular expertise around uh, telco media, but we, we, we cover a very, very broad range of industries. Yeah. And from consulting through systems integration into business process management and outsourcing of, of core technologies for our clients. Yeah, I think, uh, thank you for that. I think with a business, you know, the, the size of, of NTT and NTT data, uh, it's easy to uh, kind of think of you guys as a telco house, right? As to working in that industry, and and, and even I didn't know that until you just said that the largest side was obviously finance. Yeah. Um, and I think sometimes that's because you get so entrenched within those markets, and you spend so many years within them, you just you just don't really see the breadth and size of it. But I think one of the things that I really want to get into is uh, the technology and innovation side that you guys are working in. Uh, the phrase society 5.0 and sustainability Uh, society 5.0 I I think is such a fantastic phrase I mean a lot of people talk about industry 4.0 IOT and but this is a a, a less used term that I haven't heard a lot of could you could you explain what that is yeah absolutely so I mean it's it's a typically Japanese thing I would say so um, and what you're different, what the 1.0 and the 2.0 were probably previously is probably best confined to history. But uh, the idea is that we are reaching a new era. Um, So information age, we're kind of reaching the end of that. That was industry or society 4.0. And about five years ago now, the, the Japanese government actually put out a really pivotal white paper around the need for a new society, and a new society that is um, taking, making real use of all of that uh, incredible technology, both communications technology and high uh, technology from an application development point of view, from, from the, the use cases across the whole of society. Um, but at the same time, it needs to balance that with effectively a sustainable future. It's all well and good as talking about hyper-connected smart services that, that are um, you know, ubiquitously available, the data that is required to make that uh, a reality and the infrastructure that's required to make that a reality. If we continue down the path that we are today, 
without changing some of that underpinning technology, then we're going to break the planet. And so Society 5.0 is the idea, use technology, but invest in building a more equitable society. And, you know, in, uh, as I say, typically Japanese phrase, but for us, it, I think it really resonates today, especially post-pandemic, people are yeah. reassessing what is the right balance between, between uh, the, let's say, commercial and the societal how do you how do you square that circle, yeah. and 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 that is is what we as a group are actually investing in. So we think that we're actually, although the group has always been about the social mission, because we're part of mm. the NTT group, yeah. which is social infrastructure in the Japanese market. Mm. This idea of of purpose led organisation of making a difference of impact, is is right at the heart of all of the investments that we're making. We talked before about the, uh, the the substantial investments that the group is making into R and D, and we you know we spend about three point six billion dollars a year in R and D, and of that, eighty percent is going into a program called IOM, so the Innovative Optical and Wireless Network, not the catchiest of, 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 of titles, <laughs> I have to admit, for what is a really <laughs> remarkable program that's trying to develop that Society 5.0. Yeah. How do you get smart products and smart services out to the market at scale without changing the underpinning infrastructure? You can't. So there's an yeah. all-photonic network in there. There is a different uh, flavour of computing, and we hope maybe we can talk a bit more about that in a while, that's taking in photonic computing and quantum computing in a more coherent way. And then sitting on top of that, you've got digital twin computing, interoperability of twins, and that's where it comes back to your, you mentioned Industry 4.0. Yeah. Yeah. Complete circle on this is imagine Industry 4.0 applied to the entire society yeah. at scale. Yeah. That is Society 5.0. Yeah. It's really interesting stuff as well, and I know like we're definitely going to come on to digital twin 100%, um, but the sustainability kind of thing is something that, you mentioned after the the pandemic and stuff that people are taking really seriously us ourselves mm. we're in the process of going b corp um because it, it's going to be a thing that you kind of have to do eventually um we spoke about something off camera that was really interesting that was the internet of trees which oh, i find yeah. quite catchy compared to the io <laughs> but the internet of trees was really interesting so do you mind if we touch on that a little bit as well sure um Nancy, you want to talk about it or? yeah yeah so it's um i know we'll, we'll dive into digital twins in, in the round a bit later. But yeah, this is some, uh, if I, uh, before we do, can I just add kind of three points of to the point, to the pitch you made, which I think just to me, to me at least personally, adds a bit more context and value to, to my own view of, of that. So, and, and working for a Japanese company, one thing I have noticed is um, th- th- there's a much longer term view of things. You know, mm-hmm. this is, this is yeah. t- I think typically of an a- a- Asian companies and Asian points of view is, it doesn't. It's not looking at you know. Well, we still run you know quarterly sales targets and annual stuff. There, there is this much longer term vision that yeah. is that is that is that is there and is kind of stuck with. Okay. And the, the second point is, it's not as you said. It, it, significant investment goes into driving real tangible technology transformation in that space. So this isn't a a CSR play. It's not a bit of public mm. relations. This isn't us going carbon neutral or planting a few trees to offset some of our stuff. It's it's fundamental shift of how we'll all be operating in society and technology in 10 years' time. Yeah. 
and th those are, those are things I kind of wanted to, to, to bring out that those are it's mm. it's, 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 it's a fundamental it, yeah, yeah it's it's, a, it's compelling and it's yeah. important and it, and it has significant investment yeah. inside it as well is, yeah. is yeah. the points I've made. Um, so back to the Internet of Trees. So that that's, um, yeah so this is part of our um, you know di new digital twin centre of excellence. So we're building out capability yeah. in this area. So as well as those I won't say the the, the different time horizons, but there's the long term horizon which is the I own work which yeah. is these fundamental shifts and there's the more and I get involved in more of the grounded work which might be how do we take some of the you know more more, more uh, ready cooked or what, what does Boris say what does he say a lot of stuff a lot of stuff you don't want to repeat that could have been anything <laughs> just like playing with paper making it all up that's ready to, to, to kind of deploy and use but still is, is innovative in its, in its deployment and, and, and then apply it to these these kind of ESG mm. process. So how can we do that? And Internet of Trees is a, a program we're doing with um, in Calabria, in, in collaboration with with the government there, on how do you monitor the impact of um, uh, forestry management within certain regions and using uh, Internet of Things, a connected device technology and digital twin capability to to understand. And that could be everything from um, understanding the, the the layout of of these forests, how how you know, how wind, how air, for example, flows using fluid dynamic calculations through the forest, which might start helping manage wildfires, which are becoming more, yes. more prominent yeah. as well, but also maximizing you know, tree growth in, in terms of um, CO2 equivalent, so CO2 capture, basically, and oxygen release, and how to manage biodiversity within there, but all through uh, connected technology within, the, within those trees. And, and, and the things that have made it possible, I guess, have been... You know, like a lot of these things, that people talk about them a lot. IoT's been talked about a lot, um, and, and people still don't quite know why it's relevant because it's because it's a class of technology rather than an outcome or a purpose. But but each of those pieces of technology, in their own right, don't really do enough. So IoT sensor devices that don't have long battery life are interesting but useless if there isn't the right kind of radio wireless technology to connect them seamlessly and easily without having an engineer on site to do that stuff there, interesting but not very useful. Mm -hmm. And when you, when you have computing power that is capable of doing these things but costs a fortune, that's not much use either. But when they start, all that stuff starts coming together and coalescing into a, a set of technologies that's now, whether it's ubiquitous, but certainly easily available and cheap. Mm -hmm. So now we have relatively cheap devices that can harvest energy from the environment, you know, whether it's through photovoltaics or, or thermo, thermocouples or whatever those things are that generate its own power. So it doesn't need batteries, or at least they last a long time, uh, can be meshed up together very easily by just by people who can climb trees rather than electronic engineers. Yeah. And compute power that can then handle that and, and generate predictions and simulations at low cost. That, when that all comes together, then that's when, when digital twin can really be powerful. And IoT can, can become a real Thing that can be useful to you know whatever the use case is that we want. So in this case, it, it is it is I think still an experiment, right? With the, it's still being built yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, it's still being built out, and we're, we're working on those models because it also builds out you know machine learning models that that can yeah. continuously be refined with the more data we get. Um, but again, that the aim there is to start looking at forestry management in terms of in terms of th those certainly those aspects of you know forest fire management and CO two yeah. you know, carbon capture. And that, I mean that spaces. carbon capture one is the one that that for me also could have. Has, has caught uh, the interest of the broader community, right? So mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, the idea of you know, them effectively creating in, in Calabria, so this is you know, the south of Italy, a 
yeah. the green lung, mm. which is going to be this this uh, forestry uh, program, but connecting it um, so that you can actually formally offset and have an accurate view of mm. what impact you're really having. Okay. Through mm. th that that's the connection. It's back to yeah. the, back to the start. You know, being able to measure and then also be able to predict and monitor um, mm. the impact it is is potentially huge and something that we think is completely replicable yes. across um, you know, uh, across regions but but also actually across across different forms of sustainable programs yeah I think do, do you know what I mean that's just so fantastic to hear and, and clearly yeah. um, you speak knowledgeably um, but also with, with some passion in this as well right because I think as you said the, the technology hasn't been there Lawrence you know in yesteryear and the uh, the, the joining of, of, of many different aspects of, of, of you know, uh, low power devices, energy harvesting, being able to have these devices deployed readily and easily, um, but, but equally from the sustainability point of view, it's fantastic. I mean, uh, we were talking on a discovery call about the fact we were in uh, France and the wildfires, etc. <laughs> Ten minutes, I think it was. <laughs> Just to get France in there again. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, we, well, we like France. Um, but, but, but no, more importantly, it's, it's, this is real world events that need fixing today, yeah. right? And, yeah. and you guys are working on this technology and, 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 and putting it out there and, and helping. And I think that that's fantastic. And to touch on your point on the, the carbon offsetting, you know, there's lots of businesses out there saying that you can offset your carbon, mm. right? And, and, and I kind of see it sometimes and I think, well, how, how do I really know what's being mm. offset? How yeah. do I get an accurate, ha accurate record? Like, you know, I can't just sign off my responsibility to carbon mm. offsetting by writing a check, mm. you know? And so I think the project that you work on here to actually see the numbers, um, presumably would be quite eye-opening as well, actually. Totally, totally. And I mean, it's, it's maybe slightly off, off topic from, from our core, but that, that topic of the uh, yeah, provenance and tracking of your, of, your, of your carbon footprint is enormously challenging for any large organisation. Whatever, whatever statements are being put out there by big corporations, including you know, ourselves, it is not straightforward to do, especially yeah. when you go beyond the, the directly attributable yeah. stuff. So if you look at your supply chain and try and understand how your supply chain is actually genuinely sustainable... Yeah. It's very hard now. Regulated industries across across Europe now all having to do that as part of of the the you know, shifts in, in in regulation. That's a good thing, but it means that companies have got to get really serious about it really quickly. Yeah. And we're, I mean, we're actually working with a couple of, of organisations in that space, including Microsoft, but also uh, some some quite interesting startups that are helping identify parts of that supply chain in a proactive way so that you're able to, to your point, get a holistic view. Mm. And, and that's, you know, in order to hit those targets, that's what we've got to do. We've got to get a holistic view and then we've got to start building out the measures that are going to make a difference. Mm. Yeah. Um, and, and we've got to do it in and, the next and, and five to ten years. And a consistent view as well. Because yeah. you know, some of those calculations are still kind of... It, not, it's not clear and there's no agreements particularly on how, okay. they, how they happen. So I think yeah. it's starting to get those... Some of that research which helps kind of standardise some of those yeah. calculations as well. I think for sure. Uh, I mean, I think the other thing though that's that's interesting around around the Calabrian case, but but uh, more more broadly, you know, Lance talked about the device side and, and, and yeah. so on. Also, we talked about the compute side. But uh, another thing that for us has been hugely 
uh, help from the last three to four years is just the availability of also geospatial data, yeah. Yeah. right? And, and the advances around machine learning to allow you to then do more intelligent things with that data set. So, I mean, we, we actually have a collaboration with the Japanese space agency, JAXA, um, to provide um, 3D maps. Um, it's called AW3D. It's, it's available um, uh, effectively as, as a data set, but also there's a number of kind of layers that sit on top of that. And that's something that, again, in different examples, or in Calabria, but, but also um, here in the UK, we're, we're working with clients where we have taken that core data set and applied some intelligent uh, analytics on top to help them make decisions that in the past you simply wouldn't have been able to do. Silly example, but a simple example, 5G planning, right? So 5G turns out trees matter. Um, 4G not so much, buildings was the level that you needed. 5G you need to have uh, accuracy of, of where the trees are in order to, to do your small site um, cell planning. Yeah. Um, that's something that in the past you just wouldn't have been able to do. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's even to the extent of understanding whether it's uh, deciduous trees or can it, because in the winter, what is it like? And because that can that can create radio wave attenuation for their planning, so it makes oh, that see, yeah. much more for at least for well, millimeter wave five G. So it's yeah. makes it much more difficult from a you know, orders of magnitude more complex from a planning point of view. Mm. And if you get that wrong, that's expensive, right? Because rollout of these things become one of the big capital spend for the for, for telecommunication companies, so they have to get much, much more targeted at their, their planning mm. to cut costs and make it effective. So, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, geospatial I, is an important point. Huge bit. And I'm, I'm a, another one that actually came to mind as we were, were talking before. Um, so, in in the UK, we have a we've been running a program in our public sector business mm. a, around. We call it the Civil Service Data Challenge, okay. um, and it's been done. It's very much uh, done in. in in collaboration with the uh, Cabinet Office and uh, the ONS and, and a couple of other organisations. Um, but what we did is we got uh, civil servants from across all the different departments to think about what could they do with data to make a difference in their, uh, their organisations if they could just get access to it. Um, and it was a brilliant initiative, it ended up 120, 130 uh, submissions, whittled it down, ended up with I think five or six that went into a into a uh, a finale last year. And actually, the winning um, proposal last year was was uh, a team of civil servants that were looking at again, what can you do with the satellite imagery to analyse the carbon sinks across the UK? And it was actually peat bogs. Was the was the issue that they have, right. and so they so that what they're now in the process of doing, and we're working with those guys, is to is to develop out a a model, a simulation, um, built on top of the, the this you know, the geospatial data. To say right, those peat bogs, using a, a generative for an adversarial network, mm -hmm. so a, a particular flavour of AI, those peat bogs they're about to, to collapse and that's a big deal in the UK. So if you so if you can proactively go and resolve that issue, fix it, um, you can have a huge impact on, on the the again the the CO two um, capture uh, across the UK. So again, 
it's not always about needing to have the connected everything, mm. you know, so internet of everything and all that good story. Sometimes it's about being able to do non-invasive analytical um, work using the data infrastructure that's now available, using the, yeah. the, the, the compute infrastructure in a different way. But also, but also the challenges that people are facing that you wouldn't necessarily assume was a problem. And I think that's part of the, the outcome of running things like the UK Data Challenge and, and working with these civil servants, because you know, we can assume that there's certain problems perhaps that we need to try and remedy, but, but there's probably a myriad of others that we've not even contemplated. Yeah. And, that, and I guess that's one of the benefit in running something like this. And do, and do you do this sort of on an annual basis, this program? Yeah, yeah. no, that's uh, the, the Civil Service Data Challenge is running right now. Okay. Um, so we've, uh, I think we might even just, just have the deadline finished. We're certainly now in, in down selecting right. um, the kind of candidates. There's, there'll be a series now of, of um, kind of preheats and then and there'll be a, a finale towards the end of the year. Um, watch this space uh, on that front. Uh, um, I mean, it's by a similar um, vein. We, we're again timing, um, but now in September we've we've just uh, in the process of finalising our E awards here in the UK, which is is another uh, program that we run for early stage uh, startups. So this is about. Um, startups that have got a focus on social mission mm -hmm. so how can they uh, impact society um, inevitably sustainability is a big theme there but it's also about financial inclusion it's also about mm -hmm. about how how we can uh, have a, a, a lower impact on on the environment um, and uh, for that program which is also open um, our focus actually is is not at all on the technology it's not at all on on the viability necessarily of their of their solution it's about how can we help them in their entrepreneurial journey mm -hmm. um, because it's often really hard for those early stage organizations great ideas sometimes even the great tech but to get on the journey of, of of becoming a viable organization and we've got a mentoring scheme that's associated with that and and yeah we that, that's actually run by our foundation so we have a the entity data foundation um, which is the philanthropic arm um, here in, in, in Europe, um, but uh, a really great program. Hmm. That Lawrence is a mentor in that in that um, scheme, and yeah. I'm. We've got the event actually tomorrow. tomorrow. Okay, yeah. oh, amazing. Okay. Yeah, I, I mean it's really nice to hear. It, it sounds like a lot of the business is focused around sustainability. This concept of society 5.0 that you mentioned, and, and thinking sort of ten years out, right? Which is a very sort of Japanese Asian way mm. of sort of thinking and, 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 and having that vision, which is which is great. Um, I want to get on to a bit more of a deep dive into Digital Twins. Sure. So, we, funny enough, we were listening uh, to a couple of pods on the way uh, down to London this morning, and we tried to get the, the most succinct um, explanation of a digital twin possible. And so we came up with a, a digital, re doing this bit. A digital <laughs> replica of a physical asset. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think yeah. that's yeah. ish. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that's as close as what we could get to. Well, that's 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 where I would start. From. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it, so, but some people are different. I, I, I struggled as well when I was looking at this for the work we were doing at the open. I was going, "What is?" And I started with that exactly that point, uh, and then it it kind of it kind of breached further into right. that. So one of the I, I think one of the other areas it would look at is moving from. Uh, 
its ability to simulate and predict things. Okay. So, so, okay. so it has to have a purpose. So it's not just a replication of a physical thing, but the ability to have that data that can then predict something. And although some people call this a digital triplet, but let's stick with digital twin, is, is then the ability for it to influence back into the physical environment. Uh, okay. So to do okay. something, to yeah, feedback yeah. into changing something in that physical environment in yeah. some way. So it's yeah. more, exactly, yeah. more that kind of physical, digital, physical cyber, physical cyber. To, to, to play out scenarios yeah. effectively yeah. and to predict, presumably, what's the point of having a replica unless it can make predictions yes. and simulate yeah. uh, in, in a virtual sense what it what might happen, yeah. Concept. Which has been typical in, like, um, I guess where this all started was manufacturing, especially aero. Aerospace within engines is that, that idea of and predictive maintenance is almost yeah. that model mm -hmm. of you know yeah, digitizing and modeling a physical thing in a certain level of fidelity and then being able to predict uh, the need for maintenance or you know early intervention of some sort yeah. to do something. Yeah, but the, and the level now is that the fidelity of that data is yeah. important and it gets higher and higher as we go. Yeah. I think what excites me about digital twin is just the spectrum of what it what mm. you can use it for. And I know mm. NTT do a lot of stuff from healthcare down to the sports, which I'm excited to get on. Uh, as a rubbish golfer, it's still an interesting topic for me. Um, <laughs> so we get on to just how rubbish you are. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope so. I was thinking about this earlier actually when I was looking at because I downloaded your ebook and had a little read through that, and I always thought, I wonder if there's anything that can tell me where my ball is because I zigzag across the, uh, the fairway. So if it can just tell me to walk that way 500 yards yeah. and look down, that'd be really good. Yeah. Um, which I definitely need. Um, but I mean, some of the stuff that we touched on in the discovery call, like the healthcare stuff that you're looking at, yeah. and the, the real time, like cardiovascular and lung stuff. Mm. Um, so tell us a bit more about what you're doing in terms of sure. the healthcare stuff. Sure. So, I mean, like you say, there's, uh, yeah, there's a spectrum, and it definitely starts with that asset thing mm, and yeah. then runs through to, to something that's, uh, we think, a little bit more uh, you know, intelligent and useful. Um, it also kind of goes up and down a stack, though. So, you know, when you talk about digital twins, if you talk to people in from a manufacturing background, they immediately think of, right, it's the supply chain, it's my factory, yeah, 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 it's yeah, I've got yeah. a twin of that piece, to mm -hmm. Lawrence's point, it's linked to predictive maintenance use cases and what you can do yeah. that. Now, you can go down the stack to a micro level. You mentioned we're working um, through our medical informatics research um, centre in California, um, on digital twin of the cardiovascular system. So it's a bio-digital twin of an individual. Um, again, immensely challenging for similar reasons. Volume of data, complexity of data, volume of noise in that data, and then being able to make um, predictions off of, of that for healthcare purposes. So yeah. am I, am I, do I need to go to the hospital or is this just a normal flutter? Yeah. Um, I was going to so, add to that as well because it, it talks about the cardiovascular system, and there's a reason for that, right? Because it, it isn't just a, it, you know, we, we've got this habit, I think, in over the last well, decades probably of, and it, it's a scientific approach of kind of um, like like breaking everything apart into constituent elements and understanding those, right? In the, in isolation, so we kind of take it apart and understand components of it. But with with that kind of work, you're trying to bring all of those bits back into a system. Mm. Right? How does that all work together? Right, mm. in, in different circumstances and then move into you know, complexity calculation and, and prediction. Mm. And they say at an individual level at that point. And that is massively complicated. I think the reason they took that as a challenge was you know, cardiovascular uh, is it, still the biggest cause of deaths in the world, so cardiovascular disease. It demands a level of personal medication, so rather mm. than these big interventions. 
and, it, and it's a massively challenging compute problem to, yeah. to understand how that system works together yeah. rather than the component parts of, of yeah. the system. So a recent example comes to me and I don't know whether this well, I'm going on the right path of what you're saying but everything that happened with obviously Christian Eriksen in the Euros mm -hmm. would this sort of technology allow him back into the sport which he has because they would have had to predict what he was going through in terms of his cardio like you said so I'm assuming they would have had to use something Aspirationally, yeah, I think it's fair to say. Yeah. I mean, we're the, the, the so the work that we're, we're doing around biodigital twins is still at, it's it's in the research, research stage, yeah. right? So, yeah. you know, the, uh, as, as I mentioned at the start, NTT Group is heavily invested in basic yeah. research mm -hmm. and into applied research. Um, these guys are working on fundamentals, working with a number of different universities in yeah. in, in that space um, to build out these first. But but that's exactly the direction that they're trying yeah. to go. It's yeah. it's about it's about personal health. It's about also though. To, to my point before, you can kind of go down yeah. to that micro level, you can also go up to the macro level. Mm -hmm. So where it's interesting, again, in the healthcare space, is actually looking at, uh, you know, a, the idea of a digital twin of a nation. Mm. So, but, but the individuals of the nation uh, and, and the aggregated health of the nation, mm. again, this is... Aspiration, yeah. Like, yeah. Future thinking, this but, is the this direction yeah. it's going. But, but, but the the investments that are required but also the capabilities that that are em emerging in that space are increasingly viable right mm -hmm. it, yeah. it is it's no longer completely absurd to to think of having a digital twin of certainly a city in a meaningful way um, but also a nation and, and so that's that's where we get, I mean, again, this is the longer term view, yeah. but that's where I get really excited about about what uh, we as a group are, are trying to do with the, the research and development that we that we are doing. Mm. But I don't know, maybe maybe now is a good time to also bring it down to earth with with some very concrete uh, uh, examples of, of twins that that we've been doing in that sports space. Yes. Yes. The, I think they do. They, they really indicate well what those constituent parts are: the data gathering, the real-time nature of the analytics, the the kind of the predictive modelling, but also the visualisation of these things, yeah. um, but in a fun way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, and, and Lawrence, it would be good for you to to talk about that, obviously, with your position in the business. I, I just had one point on that. I think, and 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 you know, fan, fantastically introduced to. Uh, bringing it down to, to a, a singular subject. No, no, it was great. But I, I think the added layer of level of complexity with all of this is it's life critical, right? So when we talk about sports and when we talk about other elements, you know, you can kind of, you can try and break it several times because you don't want to get it wrong, but you can't do that in healthcare. Uh, and then, you know, when we look aspirationally up to a nation, yep. you know, one small mistake along along the line of the twin and twinification of something uh, is going to enable that to be exacerbated yep. across. And I think that's really important to touch on that. We we have to nail it with that. Um, I, mean, and, I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, and that's true. But that's true. So we, if we talk about, as I say, some of these long term aspirational things around around. Uh, life sciences. It's it's one hundred percent though the case already today when we talk about you know predictive modelling that you're doing in the um, in the telco space in the utility yeah. space when we're talking about the the you know a twin of the network yeah. and being able to, to to manage that in a in a coherent way for emergency responses and for it's, it's absolutely it's already today mm -hmm. 
critical in that yes. sense. Yes. Um, and, and those, I mean, it's it, they are. So we, we do quite a bit of work around smart city in different in different mm. contexts. We and we work with Las Vegas, for example. So mm. you know, bring new meaning to what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Um, <laughs> except if you're downtown, not, and not you're, if it's and on the twin, and, and, you're, and you're, like. you're connected to the smart cameras and yeah. smart microphones, listening for for gunshots and angry crowds. But but the um, in in that context, the the real time decisioning getting the intelligence, getting it to the, in that context, emergency services and to the local authorities uh, and, and enabling them to make decisions rapidly is actually where it's at. Mm -hmm. But like I say, that's a very, those are very real use cases today, finally, that even, you know, even three, yeah. four years ago, we were still, I think, yeah. on that journey yeah. around, yeah. around. And that prediction in that example yeah. isn't, isn't, it's not the old school world of, there's been an incident, send off a police car. It's it's looking at you know crowd build ups and patterns that are happening, and then okay. and then proactively placing a vehicle somewhere in the vicinity to of what we yeah about, to yeah. dissuade yeah. something from happening yeah. rather than waiting for something to happen. Is, yeah. the, is the nature of it? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And I'm, yeah. Go on. No, no, no. I was just, I was just, I, I want to get on to, to you talking about the, the sports side, but it's, <laughs> I know, I know. it's all right. We 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 kind of we're kind of going around it, but but I think. Uh, so that, that was a terrible shooting, wasn't there, in Las Vegas? Um, but was it about a year or so back where they had a converted semi-automatic into yeah. a, fully, a, a bump, a called bump stops, I think they were called or something like that? Um, so using this kind of predictive um, kind of uh, twin to, to understand and place a police car, mm -hmm. I think, you know, that's fantastic. And again, that's, that's stuff that's happening right now. Yeah. You know, which is Absolutely. which is which is incredible. Yeah, it's all driven off of yeah. data, and then we'll see. I know, I know, we will get to sports in a minute. Yes, but yeah. we're looking at that. Some of the, some of the, like I said, the research work in in, the, in that cardiovascular between we were talking about also leads to. It's interesting because it leads on to other challenges, mm. and one of those is it's personal medical information, and it needs it, it needs you know high levels of cryptography to yes. secure it and yes. and secure areas. So we're looking at areas of quantum, you know, quantum compute. They're looking at right. securing that data because it's, mm. it's very private and it's very, you know, if it, if it gets into the wrong hands, it's a big problem. But also on the on the other on the compute side, then some of the challenges of understanding that how that system works or system of systems, it, it becomes a you know a, a combinatorial compute problem which can't be done with standard computing to yeah. work out how that system works itself. So it's it leads to that extra investment in work within. Um, quantum compute then to deal with understanding that. So although that's way out there, like so, yeah. so was so was digital twins. We're going to talk about in a minute with with just sports. Like five years ago, wouldn't have been accessible. And yeah. We're looking at you know five or ten years. Those those yeah. areas we're investing in now. Yeah, yeah, and and it's in line with the the business as, as you spoke about at the start. You know, with, with NTT's mission of always thinking further ahead, right? Mm. Um, and the chances are we'll get there pretty quickly. You know, we were yeah, probably faster we, than we think. Yeah, yeah sure. I mean, we were just talking yeah. about off camera about post quantum security, um, some of the associations that we're involved with, and and people are working on this now because we're going to need to do something around it. Um, you were going to say, Brad? Uh, no, I was just going to get back into the sport. We've been we've been pushing around it for a while now, um, yeah. and we we've all touched on where we where we were and where we are now. Um, and I think some of the stuff that we're seeing in, in sport, which I'm sure you'll elaborate on from where it was to where it is now, some of it's still not right, VAR, mm -hmm. for instance. 
Um, but some of the technology at the moment is, is very, very good. It's a matter of opinion, isn't it? it Depending is. on the result at the time. <laughs> I mean, if it works for, for Newcastle, then yeah, that's really good. But it never does. I think we're just recognising that we're at the table with some serious sports fans. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to tread a fine line here. Yeah. Um, let's just go straight into it. So just give us an overview of some of the stuff that you've done in the sports. I know you've been with the Tour de France, the, yeah. the golf, obviously. Um, and where it's where it come from and where it is now, effectively. So yeah, okay. Well, I'm an I major on the on the golf to the Open. I'll talk about that in a bit more detail. Sounds but fantastic. If I look at what we're doing across the group. We're so we're major sponsors of sports, mm-hmm. but we never just do kind of above the line, you know, uh, logo placement. Although it's part of what we do, uh, we also take each of those and use it as an opportunity to deploy, you know, some technology that showcases our research and development credentials or in some way links to the offerings and the way we can help our clients do do their work so we're going through transformation programs of one sort or another and some of the technology that we demonstrate can be used to help them in in their in a non-sports context so we with all of that we, we we do deploy those technologies i would say this year digital twin has been probably the primary you know uh, strap line of what we've been talking mm-hmm. about with all of our properties mm-hmm. and the three Kind of big focus areas for that would be the, the Tour de France, mm-hmm. uh, along with the, the Tour de France Femme, which was the, the women's tour, which, which we're also sponsoring now. Uh, the IndyCar series, which is mm-hmm. was that, 17 races um, across the US, not just oval races, if anybody thinks that. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> but three different types of yeah. race they do I've in 17 that several times. locations. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not uh, just and NTT are the, the headline sponsor for the series, but also we have a, a team entity data or a team sponsor in there as well right uh, and then the the open championship which is the one of the four majors and I always have to say the the most venerable <laughs> <laughs> the eldest and most popular of those four I'm, that's, people are definitely gonna give me comments on that yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. which which celebrated its 150th um, anniversary this year in 2022 back in back in St Andrews and that's the one I'm mostly focused on but if I look at um, all of them in terms of what they all mean by digital twin it's almost everything that we said a digital twin is in in those cases and some some we've missed a bit like prediction or or feedback into the physical environment so i'll quickly go through each of them sure. and then we can perhaps we can talk a little bit in mm. depth about the open so the tour de france um you know our, our job there as as uh, official technology sponsors is to um we, we gather up um telemetry data from all of the the bikes most of which are linked in some way to the the rider themselves unless they break it and have to get a new one sometimes that breaks the link between the bike and the rider but we gather that telemetry information Uh, at each of the stages we have to build what's essentially an ad hoc WAN in that network so connecting the bikes to motorbikes riding behind them or cars those connect to helicopters that connect then off to the internet so those are building were essentially mission critical ad hoc networks that yeah. follow the stage, each of the stages, which is a not, not a trivial exercise. And then we do all of the, the data analytics of those bikes for, for the riders, for partially for kind of race control, so the management of the event mm-hmm. itself, and a lot for fan engagement. So one, one thing we are seeing a lot in sports, and although we described it as kind of, it's certainly less serious than some of the other stuff we talked about, it has a, a serious job to do for those sports involved because they all, um, at the end of the day, th- th- there's a there's a um, there's a competition for eyeballs on things, whether that's watching streaming services or watching sports or whatever those things are. There's a finite amount of time, and you have to 
cut through the noise and give people something else to engage with. Mm. Now, sports fans, you know, there's some people who will always watch it, irrespective. There's some deep fans, and there are, but those are limited in nature. And most sports want to expand their audience to other demographics, largely want other demographics, certainly younger audience who might not have time, for example, to watch four. 40 hours of golf for the Open, for example, they're not mm. going to sit and watch it all, but they do want to be informed of what's going on. Mm. And the other challenge some sports have is just understanding what the heck's going on. You know, if you're not a deep expert in a lot of sports, you really struggle to get understanding enough to enjoy watching it, yeah. let alone playing yeah. it. It's almost part gamification in a way, really, of the stats, isn't it? By like bringing people in and immersing them in actually yep. what's happening. This gamification is one thing, but it just contextualizing it is yeah. another thing you know look, yeah. at, look at motorsports if you're in a, in the venue you're watching especially if it's the indy 500 that's like you know 200 laps at 230 miles an hour most of which you can't you just see a car or a bunch of cars zooming past at 200 miles an hour it's you can't really understand what's going on or yeah. more importantly you can't you can might understand who the leader is but you can't understand what the strategies are behind it so if you knew for example that that car has missed a pit stop or its tires are starting to degrade or they filled up with a certain amount of fuel at the last pit stop you can start predicting what the strategies are from there and that starts leading giving a little bit more storytelling to the fans so they might understand actually the, at the front of the race is where the leader is well you think that's the leader but actually there's no way that that race control knows this. they know for a fact that that driver isn't going to win that race because they know that they haven't pitted and they need to before the end of the race now most fans never see that or they don't get or if they do they have to work hard at it to understand the context of what's going on so part of the job is taking the data the telemetry data in real time I think that's another aspect of digital mm -hmm. twin actually now is saying it's not taking it's, it's, I think historic data is important because it builds models but the ability to gather data in real time at a fidelity level that helps understand what's going on is the key. So taking that data in real time and then building into predictive models and then allowing, using that in this case to entertain fans, right? But, you know, get gauge likelihood of wins, mm. likelihood of pit strategies in the Indy, in the Indy car case, you know, what, what's, what's gonna happen. So help you understand that at the back of the race, there might be something more interesting happening at the front or the mid, the mid of the race. Oh, I think I, for me, that, that topic, you know, if we go back to when we talked about digital twin, what are the constituent parts, this the physical digital <coughs> augmentation that's going on in the sports thing is what's is what's actually really interesting, something we've not talked about so much. So, mm. you know, visualizing those twins in a virtual in a virtual environment, you know, it could be VR but it doesn't need to be VR. Um, can be augmented reality often. Mm. Again, doesn't need to be. Um, to better understand them um, and that's that's 100% true obviously for the Tour de France when you download the app and have the augmented reality uh, tabletop view on mm. the stage which we deployed and you can download it on, on, on your phone you can you can take a look at the 3d visualization of the entire course you can follow each of the, the players in real time on there in addition to what you're seeing on on, on the screen but it's also totally true when you're looking at trying to understand the dynamics of a city for example mm. and visualizing creating the right kind of visuals that help you make decisions yeah. about that physical environment mm. so again back to that topic of it's not just about the connected data it's about making sense of that data ideally in real time mm. 
And that's again where the, the, all the sports stuff is so great for that because yeah. you because everybody intuitively knows what it is that they want to understand. Yeah. Um, especially the experts. But how do you make it not just work for the real fans? You've got to make it work as well for the casual observer. Yeah. If that's um, if that's what your aim is, that's right. Mm-hmm. That, that's why I mean, it's one of the things that yeah. struck me in the work that I've been doing on this over the last few years. It's a uh, it's interesting that we talked about, we started this as an IoT conversation, and even though it might be a set of things that are connected via the internet, nobody cares, right? What, what it becomes mm-hmm. is, a, is a, it has a purpose, right? And, and at, the end of, at the end of that, that when you get eyeballs on it and humans understanding it, it's a creative design problem mm-hmm. at that point. So this is, it moves from, you know, an engineering-centric, you know, connecting networks up and understanding the... the, the you know, system on a chip or whatever it is you put in place at the one end, but at the other end, it's a it's a it's a creative design challenge to get that in front of somebody that contextualise that data or those data, I should say, in in something that that can be actionable in whatever the use cases you're trying to deploy. And yeah. it could be entertaining or engaging a fan, or it could be making a critical decision on a new road network you're going to lay out, whatever those things are. Mm-hmm. But you have to understand what you're doing and it becomes you, you can't ignore that last bit I think it becomes a really important aspect of understanding who's going to use it for what purpose and then deploying it in that way yeah because there would be I can guarantee there would be no way there'd be no purpose in us taking all of this sports data and sticking it all on a complex spreadsheet and lobbing it on a screen for somebody to because they would have to spend too many calories to understand what on earth is going on yeah, yeah. but we, we, we then take it back a level and understand that the, the the challenge we're trying to undertake with that in in association with the sport itself so with the rights holders so we don't do this in splendid isolation mm. we, we we understand because our nature to be honest as a business is to understand the client's challenge not not just to do stuff mm. that suits us it's our, it's in our it really is we could do because there's our money but we don't <laughs> so yeah, yeah we take time to understand the challenge and then we we build them we build a structure that that answers that but that creative design problem is, is mm. something i think is often Forgot. And I think that really came to life this year at the Open. Yeah. So, so more than I think probably any of the, the yeah, previous years so, yeah. that we've that we've that we've worked with that the the digital twin design element that's built on so the entity data wall, which is the you know it's kind of the the the, the, the centerpiece uh, bringing together all of that real time data that we can find from across uh, the the event, putting it. Uh, front and center in the the spectator village right at the heart we've done that for many years but now bringing in the real-time digital twin and being able to actually interact with that has has been incredibly um, well received yeah more more than I'd actually expected to be yeah yeah, yeah. this this is I think all our learnings over the last few years we took this opportunity on the 150th anniversary to, to really step it up a level and take it to a kind of a much more realistic uh, view of what, what's going on there. And I think, again, there was a, a convergence, as we spoke about, a convergence of, of availability of technologies that allowed that to, to yeah. happen. Yeah. I think. So the first was, if I, I feel like, so, so, it take, so the open takes place in, usually in a different venue or cycles around venues, but it's not in the same place every year, unlike some of the other majors. It makes it a difficult, Infrastructure challenge. You really do like. I know. <laughs> so it's a difficult because people say, "Why haven't you done the, oh, the open?" And it's because it's in a different. Like, it's yeah. the infrastructure yeah. is key, right? So, so the the RNA who run the event are now as they as they host it instead of just building you know grandstands and toilets and 
on the food and beverage stands, they're investing a lot in connectivity, so that's mm-hmm. largely fibre being rolled out, being implemented in those venues, so they'll go back to those venues, because without that, n- nothing else will work. So that investment in infrastructure is important. Um, but luckily, it comes back to St Andrews every five years, but not discounting any pandemics that happen in the middle of it. Yeah. And it's interesting, looking at about what happened in 2015 last time, and 2022 this time, because we missed a couple of years. Uh, and the difference in the technology availability, I think it's, it's really amazing at the time, or, what, or at least what's available at reasonable cost, I would say. So the first was our ability to map that golf course, again, at a level of detail that wasn't possible at reasonable cost in the past. So that was that was done using uh, some, like some of the stuff we talked about, the, the joint venture with the Japanese space agency. That's at, that's at a global level, mm-hmm. but this is down at a lower level. So we were getting, um, you know, I think six centimeter accuracy of, so just using drones and, and auto-rectified imagery. So it's just looking at different images at different points and then mapping shadows on it and then building out a map of the golf course at six centimeter accuracy. And then using LiDAR mapping, again on drones, okay. to two centimetre accuracy on the greens, which gave us enough point cloud information that we could build a very accurate you know, model of the golf course, mm. which, is, which is kind of interesting in its own right, and we get very accurate data, but it's boring to look at, because if you get a point cloud and look at it on a screen, it's, it's a point cloud, it doesn't look interesting. You can then put a mesh on it, and that's still not very interesting to look at. And we spent a lot of, it's amazing how much effort had to go into then creating a textural view of it. So I had to get it back into a you know, nearly photorealistic view of that golf course. And that includes taking in open data sources of the buildings around St Andrews, right. the beach, the sea, taking the weather, you know, building cloud models, all of that stuff, and how the shadows work. Suddenly, if you got really ambitious, it gets really complicated but it's a but it, and it's a complicated technical question but again it's a creative design question mm. so suddenly you're looking at something that looks great and is photorealistic but getting it like that and choosing the difference between you know a gorse bush here or a you know or a, or a different type of tree there yeah. that you can then overlay onto that texture map is is really is essentially a creative process right yeah. so we, we we have a creative aspect to this and that's the, the first bit so we're very a very accurate map of the golf course that we can then we can then use as our baseline of the of the as you said the digitization of a physical thing was that yeah. that's our digitization of a physical thing and then the next aspect of it was the real-time data gathering okay. so in the past uh, up until this year the data gathering has just been a bunch of volunteers walking with the uh, with the group themselves yeah. so the, the golfers and as they as they as the ball lands they, they they have to walk up to it, so it takes a physically long time to walk. If you've knocked it, if the player's knocked it 320 yards, they have to walk 320 yards to get to it, measure it with a very low level of precision. They can just say it's on the fairway or or in the water, whatever. (laughs) And then then it gets transmitted back to us, but it takes however long it takes for that group to walk up, and they don't run, I can guarantee they dawdle up to it. Uh, Now, in in 2022, we were doing, we were using, essentially laser rangefinders, some uh, trigonometry on cameras, plus the walking scorers to add all of that together. Meant, that meant within, depending how far they hit it, it was within 20 seconds or so of the ball being hit, we were getting the ball position to a, to an accuracy level of between two and six centimeters transmitted back to us. That meant you could literally watch it on TV and at the same time watch a shot view app 
to choose the holes you want to follow or the players you want to follow and watch what was happening in, in real time. Yeah. And the other aspect I'd say is when you're watching it on TV, you're watching whatever the feature groups are that the directors want to follow, usually the ones that get most media attention, that's going to be the big names. Mm. There are 156 players on there, all of which get some guaranteed TV time through their contracts, but it's almost nothing, to be honest. But if you wanted to follow, but all the data's gathered for everybody, right? It's all gathered for everybody all the time. So if you wanted to follow... Remind me, it was 32,000 shots, was that? It's 32,000, just over 32,000 shots in the four-day competition, yeah, depending on how big the cut is at the time, yeah, 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 and how well they do. And how dry the conditions were very low scoring. Right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. so it was, um, yeah, about 32,000 shots taken. Back. But you wouldn't see, you know, it's a linear feed on the broadcasts. Mm. So you don't see everything, you see what you're shown. But we gather all the data. So on, if you wanted to follow any player or all of them, you could do that and watch, use the data to you know, re- recreate those shots and, or watch them happening and, in and real that, time. And that's what I love because I'm, a, so I am, it's fair to say, interested in the golf, but not. I'm not a fanatic mm-hmm. in that literal sense, um, and the idea though now that I can, you know, uh, also after the event I can go and I can have a look and see how did uh, golfer X Y Z play every single hole. You know, I could imagine I could go to St Andrews and I could actually now line up and say, right, okay, so how did Tiger do it? How did Santo do it? Mm-hmm. And you can follow, follow the different strategies that yeah, they're yeah. doing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's huge. Yeah, which you couldn't have done before no. before this, because yeah. it, all we knew was on the fairway. Now you can go; these players are hitting to the left further yeah. than these players, and what, and they're making different yeah. strategy choices. And you can, again, it's about telling t- turning those data into stories, both visually, yes. but also, yes. you know, you can even add commentary onto that and say this is yeah. why these choices are being made, yeah. and you can then start understanding the, the decisions that the players are making. Yeah, I think I think your point about. IoT earlier earlier today about IoT being a class of technology, but within itself could have the potential to be not that interesting, is a really poignant thing here. So data into stories, so data by itself is just data, um, but can you convert that into something that the the consumer is going to be interested in? Mm. And I think now, given the fact that they've they've got access to this and they can see it and it's been here at the open, they're going to come to expect this, mm. um, but also probably come to expect to see advancements as well, right? And for this yeah. to get oh, yeah, better totally. and better. Yeah, yeah. Um, one thing that was quite interesting we talking about mapping data, and it just sort of dawned upon me in my head. I just wondered whether or not you know in the future we could have you know, kind of a satellite feed and overlace that over the textures, right? So you're yeah. not having to build out the map itself. You could perhaps have it live, but obviously there's, there's costs of having live satellite feeds, etc. Yeah. Right? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. uh, well, I mean, drones, I mean, the, the thing I was saying about how technology has changed since from 2015, the last time it was yeah, and now, one, one of those is, a big one is, is drones, you know, yeah, is, yeah, the, yeah. Is, the, is the ubiquity of yeah. drones. I know there's some more regulations that have come in place now, yeah. but, you know, and the ability for those drones to carry equipment and to transmit that you know yes. useful payloads of equipment yes and yeah. to be able to transmit that you know in, in real time i, I think it's potentially higher enough high enough to, to take it to take a shot right yeah. yes they us good enough optics on the cameras well, and, yep. and yep. even a mesh off them right so yeah. i mean slightly again off off topic but in the same same space i mean we as uh, as part of the work that, that we did uh, in japan so the sister organizations in japan uh, around the Olympics, the, mm-hmm. the, we, we actually did a, a trial of a multi-drone, real-time uh, playback where we were meshing up four different drone views mm-hmm. in real time of the entire sailing arena, yeah. effectively. So you, you had 
and it was then played back as a 16k monster wall on the on the side of the um, event. You know, it's again the computer is there to do that mm. now. There's some cleverness there in stitching it together and making you know, so that it mm. that it, it works coherently. But um, yeah, again, that's a whole other rabbit hole. If you go <laughs> yeah. down, we'll, we'll come back and talk about yeah, that stuff because yeah. that's really interesting. Yeah, no, talking about rabbit holes as well. Something that something that sort of dawned upon me was uh, what the gaming and betting industry make of digital <laughs> twins. Yeah, you know, this predictive nature, mm. you know, you know, and it's clearly only going to get better. And and your your laugh kind of suggests that you've thought about this as well. Yeah. You know, is this is this potentially, you know, going to put them out of business, or you know, is it? Oh, I think quite the quite the opposite, to be honest. I think, okay. uh, so because <laughs> we were gaming by you mean gambling, right? Yeah, it's called, yeah, called gambling. Um, so that's one area that fits nicely into digital twin because it's prediction by yeah. by nature, always calculating odds, and it's an area that within sports is obviously lucrative for the, mm. for, the, for the people who can either get the right angles or, or can use it to calculate like the, the, the gaming companies. Yeah. So they already do that, right? So some, there's already some companies whose, whose job it is to, to do that. So we also, we also work at the BMW International Open in Munich and that's, right. the data there is gathered by, by um, a company called IMG Arena and that's, their, that's basically their business model. They, do, they, they, they go on the golf tours, they gather the data in real time, and then they, they they use that to provide prediction models to gambling models, and that's how they make money. Now we, we kind of organised a data feed similar to the open, so that we could then do the digital twin of that and start using it for fan engagement, um, which wasn't in their wasn't in their current business model. You know, so so we had to kind of organise things like um, a, a deliberate thirty second mm-hmm. delay in that feed. So that we so that we weren't able to kind of put stuff on our screen at the venue or online before oh, yeah, they okay. were able to shift off. So you got there's a whole ecosystem there. So yeah, sure. I, I think the other and for, from the kind of gaming, the, 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 sorry, the, the esports or e, yes. you know, gaming businesses, they they're looking at this from um, you know again a, a fidelity of data. So mm-hmm. the more accurate you can get, the more the more accurate simulations they can make for mm-hmm. for better better games. And including, and this is an area that I think will open up a lot with sports is, and, and people will shudder at this, will be right, rights management. Mm. You know, so if you can, you know, what, what happens, for example, if you're, and this is happening now, where you're able to model exactly the movements of Lionel Messi when he's playing games mm. against certain, you know, within a team against another team. Yeah, okay. And model every movement of his limbs and his gait movement and everything and recreate that in photorealistic, in, in a, something that isn't quite Lionel Messi, but looks an awful lot like him, mm. and moves like him, and sprints like him, then who owns the rights to that? You know, yeah. And data is becoming a big area now. So video rights are kind of, that, that's, that's an area well established and understood, and can, can definitely get a bit more, more nuanced, but data is becoming a new area of mm. you know, value for sports rights holders that they can do a lot with for gambling, for games, mm. for performance improvement, equipment manufacturing there's a load of different use cases for yeah. data and all of that will require you know increasing fidelity I'll use this word fidelity but depth of data understanding yeah, yeah. And better better you know, depth yeah. of what it what they get I suppose with the gambling industry there's always going to be an element of human error as well right like you could predict that McElroy is going to roll in from three yards but if his head's gone because he's just come out of the water you could miss it. So I suppose yeah, with the gambling. Yeah. Well, it depends yeah. how good the predictiveness is, right? You know? oh, yeah, and, and every sport's different. I mean, golf is is a, it's got a lot of psychology. It's quite different because it's not yeah. you're not it's not 
don't know what the phrase is, it's not an adversarial, you don't have somebody throwing a ball at you, or, mm. but you have a, you know, it's, it's, very, it's very much down to you and this idea of, um, it's called kind of functional resilience, so how do you, under different circumstances, especially yeah. in the open, usually the weather changes every 20 minutes normally, so this year, <laughs> and how do, you, um, how do you keep playing consistently, yeah. and that becomes a deep psychological, which is quite hard to model. Interestingly, and this is, a, this is another aside, but NTT as another piece of research, it's something called the Sports Brain Science Project, which is looking at functional, uh, functional MRI scans, so functional changes in brain oh, patterns well, okay. between let's say very talented amateurs and elite athletes playing the same yeah. sport, mm. which is at the moment focused largely on baseball and softball, it's yeah. in Japan, they love that stuff. Cherry yes. League. And, and I, did, mm. I did talk to the professor there about, is that something translatable to golf? And he said, no, <laughs> because of that, <laughs> it's, 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 a, it's a, because baseball and softball is a, is a, is a responsive sport. Yeah. You're, somebody's yeah, throwing okay. something, you're responding to it, where golf is none of those things. Mm, so no, it's a very no, different challenge. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I mean, that's, you you touched upon it there, but I think the different ecosystems that can come as a result of you know creating a twin uh, is something that we need to we need to think of as, as part of this society 5.0 movement in general, right? You know, we're talking about gambling and, and betting, right? Um, you know, quite the opposite from putting them out of the business. It would actually allow them perhaps to do a micro transaction of of bets. And for the yeah. for the consumers to sort of bet interactively at that time mm -hmm. while something's happening based upon predictive modeling, yeah. Um, yeah. and you know there's a big topic about whether or not that that's you know a good thing in society for for gambling and betting companies to be able to do that, but that's a whole other rabbit hole. It is it is a rabbit hole. You know? Yeah, we we should probably avoid it. But I'll, I'll just say one thing. I'll just say one thing because I, I think it, it you know done done well in yeah. about gamification rather than gambling. Yes, yeah, I, I, think, I think it's a, I think it's a I think it's a nice it's a good way of engaging yeah, fans in I agree. something that they might not otherwise be interested in. I agree. Put a little bit of a, a game inside it. Even yeah. Let's say money isn't involved, but you know, that idea of yeah, yeah. Play, yeah. placing yeah. a. You know, but, I, but I think I think I think you're right, and I think you know go, going back to the point uh, around, I think the consumers are going to expect that right now that they've seen it. And they know that they can watch the Open or, or various um, you know sporting events with this type of c convergence and, and of technology. It, they, they're going to expect it. They're going to want it, and they're going to want to see it better. Right. I mean, if, yeah, it's not, not going to stop. You're right. And they, yeah. there's, there's more and more that, that yeah. people will want to see. I'm sure somebody will. If, we, if you're showing any of our kind of shop view simulations yeah. we put up there, there will be somebody for sure that will say that the ball trajectory that we show on that is. Nominal, I think it's called, right, as in okay. inaccurate. I right, mean, where okay. it starts is accurate and where it ends is accurate. Okay. The ball flight is not accurate uh, okay. that we show because it doesn't take into account you know, the, the, the way the ball spins, which creates lift, basically, sure. through, um, through the way the ball is structured. So the only way to do it. And, and it doesn't, doesn't take into account winds, yeah. right, which obviously shows it lands differently. But it, it is accurate where it starts and ends. You could put a gyro in the ball, wouldn't you? You can't you put anything, to do anything in, like that. Ah, I see. Part equipment. of the challenge. It's all of it's got to be panic. This is a big area for, for sports as well. Is, is, yeah. <laughs> you can as long as you're not playing a competition of any sort. You can ah, do okay. like that. I see, okay. But you can, um, uh, but, but kind of passive, you know, passive sensors as opposed to active sensors. Sure. Surely another area of IoT that probably isn't explored is, and, and some of the stuff you talked about, the 12K screens at the sailing, mm. you know, if you get very accurate, high frame rate video, like the high definition, high frame rate, that can be deployed in situ. You can, you can create a lot of data from that that isn't otherwise 
isn't otherwise available and is, is, is collective passively rather than through some you know wiring up somebody or wearing wearables okay. or anything on which I think is important. Yeah, completely agree. Yeah. I mean, to, to take it up a level in terms of you know we're just beginning to scratch the surface I think mm. of what what is viable it's what and certainly when we talk to to the the rights holders and the and the the, the people that are actually you know in the business of doing this they're super excited about what they can do in the next steps you know it's about again augmenting that experience it's about making it the gamification piece not the gambling piece for sure the visualization making it upgrading it really and it, it occurs to me that that to go full circle links back to the start of what we were talking about right what are we trying to do with this technology right now we're trying to create more enriched human experiences without breaking the planet mm. right that's underpinning what this Society 5.0 yeah. thing is about. That's what we're, as a group, investing in. Not alone, of course, there's lots and lots of, of, of players um, in this space, but it's about creating an upgraded reality. And actually, that is the, that's the, the hashtag that, that our, our colleagues from Entity Research <laughs> are using for this whole program. It's, okay. you know, we, we need a new reality. We need a, a, a hyper-reality that is that connected physical and digital, but amazing experiences, interactive, enriched experiences with all of that data and information around us. If we're a consumer, we expect it. If we're a citizen, we're increasingly expecting that. And obviously for businesses, there's huge opportunities to, to the way that they work with one another, but also how they, to your point, create new business models mm -hmm. and new services that will take us to the next level. I mean, hugely exciting, I think. Yeah, yeah, massively exciting, and it's changed. It's changed it for me. Luckily, my boss isn't listening. But when uh, <laughs> when we're at work and the golf is on, for instance, just just what you can visualize if you know the courses and watch quite a lot of it, what you can visualize just by looking at an app on your phone mm. whilst you're working very hard, <laughs> you, you can kind of see if you're following a certain well, player this, like Rory, you can is, kind of see where they are the on the course or the near the top. This is the like, new reality of, of work-life balance, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, so we're in a. <laughs> Yeah, oh, exactly. Yeah, yeah. work-life balance. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just you can just if you're following something, it's just changed the whole consumer thing. And and not to beat around the bush, I think everything in terms of sport is how many fans have you got, how many people are watching, because it's a money business, really, isn't it? It is. Uh, yeah. yeah. Right. So if you've got enough, dance around that topic, but it is. It really is. Yeah, hundred percent. Mm -hmm. And that's what it's all about. That's why you've got such big sponsors and everything, and that's still got betting sponsors in football, for instance, like yeah. trying to get away from it, but. They're still there, yeah. so yeah, I think it, it's a very exciting, exciting future. And I suppose in very short, because obviously with, with time and stuff like that, and we've, we've, it's gone really well. What do you see in in short the future holding for these technologies? If you were to, unless you want to give us an exclusive, is there anything that's coming up <laughs> that you can talk about, or just yeah, what what's coming up? What does the future hold for it? Who? Um, Big question. Right. Big question. I'm, I'm going to say two, 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 <laughs> two areas. I think that, that for me, I talk about sports stuff, yeah. and you can do everything else in the world. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, so for the sports stuff, I, I think one will be, um, you know, t t what, where can we get more data, and that would be useful to help engage fans in the story a, a bit more, and think, and yeah. to build on that design experience. So we have this. We now have these two. I'm going to use the word paradigm because we haven't used that in the whole podcast, so we can take that one off. Paradigms. 
is we've got the, the, the personalized mobile app, which is, which is designed, which is mobile optimized, personalized. And is that, you know, there's a personalized head down experience. We've got that thing where you do that. And we have the data wall, as you said, the 20 meter screen in venue, which is, you know, a heads up shared social experience. So everybody kind of gathers together and it's kind of, it's quite, an, it's very different yeah. design problems there that we have. And I think we'll be looking at how we can bring more data in that has relevance to helping those two different worlds kind of join together. I think that would be one area. It could be, it could be getting even as something as simple as wind, understanding wind speeds at different altitudes. So the wind you feel Mind here is different from what the golf ball feels at 30 meters up, for example. So can we get that in and understand that a bit better? Uh, and a, another, another big area of which will be about pr precise data gathering and, and probably a little bit more linked to the feedback into the real world will be, um, will be around sustainability, especially of these sports events. So they are, we've got back to in-person events. These are, you know, yeah. the Open itself brings in 300,000 people for four days. The Indy 500 is 400,000 people in one day. The biggest CO2 equivalent impact of those events is fans traveling there, or the choices they make, mm -hmm. I should say, in terms of how they choose to get there. Yeah, sure. And we're doing some work with Cardiff University now on, on frameworks around how to understand that and how the inter how, how we've linked that both to the, the the measurement of that and the nudges you'd make to those fans to make different choices about how they would get there and their sustainability choices and how that might be how that might make longer term decisions for those individuals in you know even outside of the sport itself mm. so I think we're doing a lot of work around We'll be doing a lot of work around that, I think, in sports events over the next few years. So sustainability will be the big, the big topic. So even in the heavy petrol sports like Indy 500 or Formula One, the f the sustainability impact of the sport itself isn't that high. It's the mm. it's the it's the it's the tour trucks that come up. It's the yeah, yeah. inside the ropes teams that are doing all the work, and it's the fans travel is the big yeah. impact yeah. that we need to look at. Yeah, I mean, one moment we just signed up to U Life. In our business, which rewards people for walking and, and so on and so forth, and one would imagine if you can analyze the data on fans' um, chosen mode of transport, or perhaps rewarded them, perhaps in ticket sales to reduce the cost of the ticket yep. and how they got there. There are lots of different. It's all ways that feed, feedback that. stuff again, feedback, and some of it yeah. is about you know some of that is, is that some of that doesn't sound like the real time data gathering, but some of it is because a lot of the new. You know, like whether they're, you know, what diesel generators are moving to hydrogen fuel cells mm -hmm. or whatever those things are, they're telemetrized equipment that we can then gather data off in real time. Because a lot of, honestly, a lot of these, I was quite surprised actually, not, not particularly the open, but a lot of sports events are still done with paper manifest sheets and, right. you know, still done on Excel and it's all, it's not, it's not managed in real time in any way or analyzed in a, in a way that, that can be operationalized in a, sure. in a, to make different choices. And, and, and we want to kind of also use our fan engagement tools, which are the app and the, the big screen, to get fans more engaged in that process. So if we're telling them, you know, and, and, and definitely, again, talk about the human interaction and storytelling is not necessarily, you know, putting a downer on the fact that they come to an event and making it all negative is how do you turn that into something positive and engage them in it and get them involved in that process somehow to then, whether that is offsetting their stuff or somehow getting involved in a, a broader program of sustainability work, but it's using our the vehicles we built around engagement with fans about getting them involved in that process. So that's my stuff. Whew, you've just got everything else. Yeah. So how do I? I'm not sure how, how to follow that really. But I mean, again, if I t try and take it up a, a level, you know, augmented experiences 
that are being driven by real-time real -time data um, that enrich our lives. That's kind of where we're, where we're going with this stuff. Yes. You know, so if we talk about, you know, we've also managed, by the way, which I'm delighted to not talk about the metaverse. That's one of my quick questions. And I'm very keen that we don't do that. But, the, but, the, <laughs> but these, these experiences in our private lives, in our, in, in our work lives, where the data is just there. Mm. Yeah. And we can get the information that's coming out of that deep data in a coherent way, in a, an interesting way that allows us to make decisions. Yeah. You know, if we talk about the cardiovascular mm. by a digital twin, then very clearly that's got a very material impact. And we've seen that already, what people, how people are working with their, with their Fitbits, their Apple Watches, and, and yeah. the measured me movement and everything that's going on around mm. that. Um, but the same is true in why, why are you not thinking about the way that you do your you know, your day job in the same way. Why, why is that data not, not there in a way that's allowing you to make decisions on it and in an entertaining and... and Purposeful uh, way, right? Yeah, that's right. It's, it's a nice word. Yeah. It's probably a nice, a nice place to end. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Kind of full circle back to that Balance Society 5.0 vision. Yeah. Enriched experiences for humans without breaking the planet. Perfect. On it, yeah. On it, honestly, I've really enjoyed this. Yeah, this uh, it's uh, it's so poignant to where we are as a business, what we want to talk about, the content that we want to put out. You guys are clearly really passionate, and I think we could just talk for hours and hours and hours about it. But sadly, we don't have that time, and uh, <laughs> and neither and, and and probably would you want to give it to me at this point. Um, so we're going to wrap well, up. We'll come back. Yeah, uh, it would be nice to do that. Actually, you know, uh, maybe in a few years' time, just to sort of cross-reference where we were we talk about data and stories and say well we we thought this actually yeah. in 2022 yeah. um but we were a little bit wrong and we actually segued into this and i think that would be really really useful because um you know there's there's always different paths that people can take and um, and so on but yeah i yeah I, i've really really enjoyed it um yeah very uh, much so from me as well it's been amazing no, it's been great. Yeah, yeah it's been good yeah nice excellent um, um would you like to do the quick fire questions as always? Yeah, well, I was gonna, you, you laugh, but genuinely, we've got a list here and it says select three. One of them is, what are your thoughts on the metaverse? Yeah. Like, as you said, so the, don't ask that question. So the, like, the last two <laughs> times, him, like, I think the last two, <laughs> the last two times we've asked that, uh, it's been a resounding, it's a kid's game, basically, thing. People not liking the metaverse and people thinking it's a waste of time. So uh, yeah. we will skip that question. We will skip that one. Um, we will yeah, I'll just ask one question then and you both can give me one answer. I suppose the best way to start is if you were to summarise technology landscape this year in one word, what would that one word be? Your face says it all, so I think you're up first. <laughs> <laughs> this year? This year, uh, technology landscape in one word. Well, I, I've got to say digital twin, that's with a hyphen, so that's okay. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I have to say that because that's been in all of our sports yeah. stuff and a lot of our, our investment focus has been on that for this year. For me. Yeah. Connected. Nice. Yeah. Uh, biggest inspiration as a person? As a person. <laughs> um, I think we need to change this from quick well, fire to questions to thoughtful, images of the future. Uh, my dad. Nice. nice. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Whatever you answer is not going to be as good. <laughs> I'm going to just because it's the first name that popped into my head, uh, and I've been talking about him yesterday. Um, Stanley Kubrick, I would say, okay. is who I would uh, say. I keep coming back to. He's still my go-to guy for films of all different types. I mean, not like okay. stereotyped in one way, but of, mm. of also, you know, some of the, obviously, if we're talking about technology, 2001, how, all that stuff, but, mm. but a whole range of different comedies and others. So, yeah, Stanley Kubrick would be Excellent. my man. The last one, hopefully, will be a long way answer. Driverless cars, as they are now, would you have one, yes or no? Yeah. Yes. There we go. Some people do say no, because they're apparently still scared of them. Uh, I wouldn't let it drive. That's one way around it. What a, what a fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Look, gentlemen, thank you so much. It, honestly, it's been a pleasure, and I really do hope that we get the opportunity to come back. Um, I always forget this. So I'm not. I'm going to make a effort to not forget this. Is your social medias? Mm-hmm. So where can the viewers find you? Social media for the company and yourself. So for me, I'm at Twinstan. T-W-I-N-S-T-A-N uh, in most flavours of, of <laughs> social media uh, and we as Entity Data can be found at Entity underscore data underscore UK There you are and I'm at the same website and I'm just on LinkedIn I think mostly active on LinkedIn so just Lawrence Norman okay. search me Excellent. like me <laughs> <laughs> Thank you guys it's been an absolute pleasure Thank you that's Thank you. good for us as well Thank you very much